Hey guys, so glad you're here for the special Tears for Fears book report that we can't wait to present to you. Uh, we ramble on and on because Tears for Fears are one of our favorite bands ever, but I'm sure that Toby will do a masterful job of making it sound smooth and concise to the point where you'll feel like we actually know what we're talking about. Because uh, we do really have a lot of passion for the music that we play and uh, you would find that out if you were a patron because only patrons get a real deep dive into our full music psyche because we peel back all the layers of the onion and we play even our guiltiest pleasures on the after dark podcast which is only available by subscription to our patrons so go to oldwaver.com and click on premium and you can subscribe for as little as $5 a month. And you also get some fantastic merch and stickers that you can uh, plaster all over and uh, hopefully get other people to listen to our dumb pod. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm shushing Willow. Yeah, she knows that I need to stop talking. Because, You're doing great. Because Don't worry about her. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Willow, I understand. I agree with you. It's okay, baby. Calm down. I agree with you. He'll that, be done soon. That Toby is the star, and uh, I need to stop talking. <laughs> but Tears for Fears is next. Our 420 was spent at a weird arcade giant bowling place where yeah. people were throwing axes behind our heads. Uh-huh. And we were babysitting the... Uh, the booty that they had won from the claw machine. Yeah, they won a bunch of stuff. You know. Booty. Booty.
can win a copy of I th- oh, gosh I I'm so dumb. I pulled up all this stuff on my computer but I didn't pull up this email from our sponsor? Yes, from our sponsor Positive Spin Records with a Z. Yes, Positive with a Z. Go to Positive Spin or no. Yes, wait. positivespin.com and uh if you look at the banner at the top that says win the HTWOW album of the month, you can register with an email to get a 1999 reissue of Songs from the Big Chair, 180 gram orange vinyl. That's cool that it's orange. Why it's do you a collector's think it's item. I don't know. I don't, I don't get the color on that. I don't know, but that could be yours. I might order that. You should. I wouldn't mind having a big chair, a new version. I yeah. mean, I have, a, I have a scratched up, like half price books mm-hmm. version of big chair. I probably have the same kind of deal, but man, what a mega, mega record. Yes. Uh, we are going to be talking all Tears for Fears all the time on this episode. So if uh, that has you all excited, then welcome. You're in a safe space. If uh, you're like, yeah. Then, uh, you know, we'll see you next month. It's cool. Or stick with it for a second. You might be pleasantly surprised. Yes, you might be. But also, if you hate it, yeah, just, you know, it's okay. Um, But yes, Tears for Fears, um, they are having a moment right now, which we'll get to later. Do you know anyone that just just hates Tears for Fears? No. I I don't know anyone. No. I mean, I can't name a metal person, a country person. Like, everyone kind of goes, Wait, Tears for Fears. You know that everybody wants to rule the world, and they're like, "Oh yeah, great song. Oh, it's good, it's yeah. good, it's good." I mean, they kind of don't annoy people. I mean, they really like individually. They might. Yeah, but really, especially the the hits from Big Chair, and even the hits from The Hurting, 
Which people have covered a million times. Yeah, they, they are part of the pop culture fabric because they have been covered so many times. They have been in so many TV shows and movies and commercials. But also they are, at their core, just great pop hits. They're, they're you know, they have their complex uh, harmonies and, uh, you know, recording techniques and instrumentation and whatever. But... The melodies are always just great hooks. Yeah, and they don't have that. It's pleasant because, I mean, how many times have you heard everybody wants to rule the world and still when it comes on, it's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I can sit through this. This is going to be good. Yeah, and then you're singing along by the end. All I think of is that sweet triumph for TRC or whatever it is that he's driving through the desert. It's nice. It's nice. Makes you feel good, Dave. It does. So this is going to be a feel-good episode. It is going to be a feel-good episode. Um, and before uh, we get too much further down the road, um, speaking of feeling good, we need to talk about the beer. Because this is good. a music and a beer podcast. It's a song swap and a beer swap. Are you drinking beer? Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we've been having um, a few today. Uh, yeah, this one's going to be a little lit than normal, more like an after dark, because we kind of, <laughs> we started early, yeah. because we're spring breaking. The kids are here. Yeah. We. Uh, They're watching a movie right now. We went and let them play games while we drank at the bar. Um, I mean, it was a place for kids. I don't want people to think that we were at a, <laughs> right, a dirty bar. Pinball. And there's like a Galaga game in the, <laughs> on the, you know, in the corner yeah. that has like cigarette stains on it. No, no, nothing they, like they, that. We were at a kid's place that just happened to have a few beverages. Yes. You know, and we were there with them whilst they played. And uh, as always, our beer sponsor is Good Friend Package. And once again, <laughs> I was too lazy to go there. So, uh, Man, they miss you. I know, but I, I love them, so I want to always give them a shout-out. They're at 1155 PV Avenue in Far East Dallas, All Casa right, make Linda. the point that you go there next time. Okay, I will. Next time is for sure, whether it's out of the way or whatever. Uh, but the uh, first selection that we have today is from Sweetwater Brewing Company. And uh, Sweetwater, their logo, they have a big 420. It looks like a road sign. You know what 420 means? Um, no, I don't. I'm not really into pot like culture stuff. So, if but you, you do know it's related to pot. So you do know something. Don't really know my the name of my thing on this show has to do more with uh, high tea, high tea, but not high like tea. high tea as in uh, English tea or like with your pinky in the air. Yeah, or like a super super high testosterone thing. Yeah, that doesn't really add up. What do you mean? I don't know. I think you're making that part up. You don't think I'm testosterone <laughs> No, because you get mistaken for a woman constantly. That doesn't mean I don't have high testosterone inside. <laughs> okay. You don't know what's going on in there. You're just, you just keep, you can't decide and you keep transitioning from one to the other. You're just like taking one hormone and then like, nah, I'm going to take the, the testosterone again. I'm exhausted. <laughs> so we're doing a Sweetwater Imperial IPA 
It says, uh, don't float the mainstream at the top. It's a 9.1 percenter, so we're going to get lit. And I, I appreciate the fact that they have large type and it's on a red background. So oh, I can, so you get to read so it. So I can time. read it. Like a real, like a radio, a real radio person uh -huh. can read it. It says, drink them if you got them. A, a craft classic deserves imperial treatment, a fresh take on ingredients from the original 420, uh, which I guess is their uh, regular IPA, 420 IPA. This bold, flavor-packed new brother features a fresh combo of hops for added intensity and complexity, creating flavors and aromas of mango, peach, pineapple, citrus, and pine. The result is a well-balanced Imperial IPA that's super tasty, higher ABV. Hell yeah. Independently brewed since 97. My uh, brother-in-law likes the sweet water. And I guess they have like some kind of festival or something that he goes to because. Where's it from? You already said it. I don't, probably, no, but... I don't think I said. Oh. Can you? I, I can't read the type on the side. Where's... To say where it's from. I guess I could Google it. No, hold on. I'll find it. You know, it's weird to me that they got this name because of the. Uh, it says Atlanta, but that can't be it, right? That makes sense because he lives in Alabama. Yeah, I think it's it might be Atlanta. Uh, that's the only thing I can find on here. Um, but you know, Sweetwater, the um, band gear place. Like how? Oh right. Like how did they get to get? Like Sweetwater has, they created your entire home studio. That's true. Well, uh, they're, shout they're not, out to Sweetwater. <laughs> they're not in the same category. So that doesn't matter. Yeah, they're they're Atlanta. Okay, see, so I can read very yeah, small can, print. Yeah, you can read. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sweetwater, uh, uh, don't I don't know, Imperial IPA. Have you tried it? The mainstream. What does that mean? It means, uh, you know, take the, uh, the tributaries. So what the happens? Path less followed. Okay, yeah. I've never heard "don't float the mainstream" in my life. But what does 420 mean? It it's like a, a highway. Well, I guess that's the name of their regular IPA, but it's a, it's pot reference, dude. What does that mean? Like, what happens at 420? It means day? that 420 is when class is dismissed and you go and get high with your buds. Behind, I didn't know behind, it was a, behind the dumpster. I didn't know it was classes dismissed. I thought it was uh, if you're keeping it right all day, you don't smoke till 4:20. Like it's safe for drinking. It's five o'clock somewhere uh -huh. or six o'clock somewhere. Five o'clock somewhere. Five like o'clock somewhere. Hour. So 4:20 is just wait till 4:20 so you get your day done, and then yeah, that's no, why I, I always no, thought I think it 420 was, was. I think it started because that that was when class was dismissed so you couldn't start until after school and then after call after like elementary school elementary school's <laughs> no. out like at three o'clock no like middle school or high school i don't know yeah i'm gonna now i have to look that up oh god because this is dumb school's never been out at 420 it's a thing that just says don't smoke weed till 420 that's the that's the time we're all supposed to smoke right I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, according to uh, the stupid Google, 
Well, what what page are you on? Where are you at here? Are you at High Times or what are you No, doing? I guess this is a, a definition. Yet Urban Dictionary? From Oxford Languages. Oh, God, this will be wrong. It says, uh, apparently coined as a code word by high school students in San Rafael, California in 1971. Dang. With reference to 4.20 p.m., the time at which they regularly met to try and locate an unattended plot of cannabis plants. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. I thought that that... Okay. And what, they had stickers and stuff. Yeah, they didn't realize they stumbled onto a, a marketing gold mine. Why would you pick 420? You'd pick, you would pick 415 or 430. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Either way. That's boring. So we won't have any of that in there. <laughs> no, the kids are here, so we're not going to worry about any of that. No. Our 420 was spent at a weird arcade giant bowling place where yeah. people were throwing axes behind our heads. Uh-huh. And we were babysitting the uh the booty that they had won from the claw machine. Yeah, they won a bunch of stuff. You know. Booty. Booty. All right. So back to Tears for Fears. We wanted to uh, start from the beginning because uh, in the past on HTWOW, Toby has done um, a handful of book reports where he will pick an artist uh, or a, uh, a songwriter, performer, and kind of chronicle their career. Well, the Reiner episode really took all of our Tears for Fear stuff. Yeah, we didn't realize that we had played a bunch of Tears for Fear stuff on a single episode but if you go back and listen to i think it's the august 2020 episode with mike reiner we played everybody wants to rule the world uh change off of the hurting and uh the, the working hour yes. off of uh songs from the big chair so we're not going to play any of those tonight but you can go back and listen to that episode if you'd like um, but we are going to take this in uh, chronological order because uh, this is an entire episode dedicated to Tears for Fears, similar to what we did back in December when we uh, did a New Order episode and we collaborated. We put our, our HTWOW minds together and came up with the ultimate New Order playlist. And we're going to do that today with the constraints of not repeating ourselves. We're going to put together the uh, the ultimate Tears for Fears playlist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tipping point came out uh, at the end of February. And so we wanted to wait until March so we could have a chance to listen to the whole thing. And uh, it's their first uh, output in 18 years. It is Kurt and Roland together. Um, you know, they had an acrimonious split back in uh, the late 80s, early 90s. They got back together in the early aughts and put out a kind of reunion record that I don't even remember. And uh, so they haven't done anything in 18 years. Mm -hmm. And for uh, a kind of a, a Gen X nostalgia act to come out with something after such a long time away and for it to suddenly shoot up the charts to number one is pretty amazing. So we'll get to the tipping point later, but that is the impetus for this episode. And uh, they are on tour. They're touring with Garbage, 
which will be great fun. And they're coming to Dallas, which is where we'll see them. The band um, garbage. Yes. <laughs> they're not they're not touring with a like a big BFI. Like a big truckload of garbage. <laughs> yeah, no. No. You you're not you can't like fish through a dumpster Mm-mm. and win prizes before the show. No, it's the band garbage. The band garbage with Shirley Manson. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, we will get to the the new album later, but let's start from the beginning. And you were looking up we we've talked about this a little bit on the pod when we were talking about Naked Eyes at some point. But it's crazy that Tears for Fears before Tears for Fears even existed that Kurt and Roland played together in a band with the guys from Naked Eyes because they were all from Bath in England, right? Yeah, which is if you ever if you've ever been to uh, Bath, it really makes sense that uh, Peter Gabriel, uh, the guys from Naked Eyes and the guys from Tears for Fears, are from Bath. It's a posh town. It's a little bit outside of London, right? Uh, it's a ways. But everything, well, to them, it's a ways. To us, it's like five seconds. Right. Um, but it had a bunch of Roman baths because it's got natural springs. If I was going to pick a town in England to live in, I would pick Bath. It is, it's the coolest. It's like Roman built awesome everything. And you got to have a little bit of money, I think, to live there. But it's not big. You know what I mean? So for all of these musicians and all of these people to come out of this town is a pretty cool thing. It makes sense that Tears for Fears and Naked Eyes are from them, but their first band that I'm guessing, uh, I think the Naked Eyes guys were a little older and they had a band already and then they got the drummer. Uh, uh, Manny Elias or Ian yeah, 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 it's Manny Elias. So they get... Uh, in Naked Eyes, because Naked Eyes becomes, of course, just mainly a keyboard band, right? So they have Manny Elias, a great drummer, and then later on they get Kurt Smith. Roland didn't join till later, and I have never, on MTV, of anything... I don't know why they would have kept it quiet, or just... Because think about the time of... Uh, Always something there to remind me and promises, promises are out. Huge songs in America. No one mentioned at the time when The Hurting is out and even when Songs from the Big Chair came out that they were in the same band. And why have we never heard one song? Because they obviously did record stuff together that never got released. Yeah, it's wild. I want to hear it. I mean, they were going into real studios and doing this. Like, why can't we hear this? But, um... When they split up Neon, Naked Eyes became famous. Tears for Fears hit it huge with The Hurting, which I didn't realize when I looked at the stuff earlier that The Hurting did so good in the UK. I didn't know it went to number one. Yeah. I would have never thought that. Um, But not in America, of course. But still, over there, that's huge. So that's why they had the uh, backing to do songs from the big chair and all that and make it so gigantic. Yeah, and even before Neon, uh, that... They played together in a band called The Graduate around in and around Bath. It was Roland and uh, a guy named John Baker 
And so originally they performed together as the Baker Brothers uh, while they were in school. They were both 16 when they started. God. Then they called themselves The Graduate because they would open their shows with a cover of Mrs. Robinson from Simon and Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they brought in uh, Andy Marsden uh, as the drummer. And, uh, and then soon after that, that's when they met Kurt Smith and he became the bass player. And then so after The Graduate dissolved, that's when uh, Kurt and Roland joined Neon because they were kind of a package deal at that point. Did you hear about, have you ever seen the Tears for Fears documentary where he first meets Kurt Smith, Roland? No. He, um, he thought he was an Indian student. Like from India? Yeah, because he was always tan all the time, and he had he would wear like a, a bandana, like over his head, uh -huh. not fully covered, but kind of on there. And he just thought, oh well, he's he's and exotic. So he, yeah, he thought for a long time he was, and, and Kurt was eventually like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm sure his family probably summered places, and he was tan all the time. <laughs> God, I would love to know what their backstory is and how they seem rich. They probably weren't. I'm just saying that, but they just seem rich. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. No. Yeah, so uh, The Hurting spawned uh, three top ten hits in the UK. You mentioned that it went to number one, the album. Uh, but Mad World went to number three. Change went to number four. Pale Shelter went to number five. Um, didn't really chart at all in the U.S. It was kind of like, I think in the U.S. it was more after Songs from the Big Chair was so massive then people went back and rediscovered the hurting. I, I definitely remembered uh, Mad World, the video, but Change, the video, they played it on MTV all the time. I loved it. It was it was huge. So I I definitely knew I couldn't wait till songs from the big chair came out because I knew about them before it. Okay. Well, uh the hurting in the US peaked at 73. Golly. And then as far as the singles, Change peaked at 73 on the US mainstream chart. Is that their biggest one? And that's the only thing that charted off of uh, the first record. I mean, they did play, maybe it was a 120 minutes thing. They played yeah, it all the it, time. It, it might have been, I, we don't have the, uh, or I don't know if even at this point, they if they had an alternative chart, mm -hmm. uh, anything other than the top 40 or the Billboard Hot 100, whatever. But that is weird for back then that it would, that that album went so high in the UK and didn't cross over. Things were kind of, pushing over around that time that should have that should have come over because naked eyes was a lot bigger i'm thinking it was and if you've never listened to the hurting if all you really know about tears for fears is songs from the big chair and seeds of love um the hurting is kind of a synth pop record yeah it came out in in march of 83 and it, you know there's there's some live instrumentation on there but it's it's mostly keyboards it's kind of a lot along the lines of uh, kind of a Depeche Mode thing that you write the songs on guitar 
and then switch them over to keyboards and make this thing out of because you can tell they're guitar pop songs right we decided that we're not gonna repeat ourselves and we're not gonna play change which is your favorite because of it might not necessarily be my favorite because I might like this one better, but that one affected me more. Change affected me because of like the bridge and like the video was yeah. But uh, this one's great. Yeah. So what did we decide? We went with Pale Shelter. Okay. Because Mad World has been covered a bunch. It's even in commercials right now all the time. You have noticed that, right? Yes. Um, so let's not do Yeah, they always have the indie girl. It makes me kind of happy. It makes me kind of sad. It makes me kind of sad. terrible. Avocados. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to do that. But we are going to play Pale Shelter. Um... I guess uh, it was... I'm playing the single version. There's a very long version of this. Okay. Well, there there was like a a, a uh, single that came out before The Hurting, and then they re-released it in 83. So they came out in 82 and 83. But I assume that you're playing the, the 83 version. I don't know. It's the one that people listen to the most. Okay, good. All right. So we're kicking off Tears for Fears on HTWOW with Pale Shelter from 1983 off of The Hurting.
it's so polished and then just kind of a fart ending. Yeah. But I do. love it. They shut it down. It's so great too cuz I I don't have to ask you like what'd you think what'd you think of that one day? <laughs> cuz we know we love it. Golly, it's good, man. Why do they have there's just certain bands and I and I know it's the people that they're surrounded by. You know, because eventually they end up with Ian Stanley and Chris Hughes. And I think Chris Hughes did this. Everything sounds so amazing. Like, that's their first record. Well, no, it wasn't their first, right? Didn't they have something before that? No, I mean, they had a single before that. Yeah. They did a... um, They released Suffer the Children and a early version of Pale Shelter before The Hurting came out, I guess. Okay, okay. But still recorded probably at the same place. Yeah. Wolf something. Or I don't know where it was. Yeah, so Chris Hughes and Ross Cullum were the co-producers of The Hurting. Okay. And they're involved with songwriting a lot during the records. Because um, it's mainly just Roland and the producers for a while. And then Ian Stanley gets involved once the keyboard stuff starts really cooking up. Um, and then Kirk gets involved later, but I just don't understand how you can get like an acoustic sound on that to go bling and it sounds right, so better bright. than anything ever. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's, they're very good at at uh, music. And you, you mentioned, I mean, we don't need to do a deep dive into this, but you mentioned as we were listening to the playback that uh, in particular on the album "The Hurting." Yeah, because it was their debut. Uh-huh. Uh that the hurting, the name of the album and the name of the band, Tears for Fears, goes back to uh the writings of a uh psych uh psychotherapist, psychologist, uh Arthur Janov. And I think Suffer the Children even something comes from that too, right? Right. Like there is uh he was absolutely Roland was obsessed by this guy. Yeah, evidently he he was very into the writings of Arthur Janoff at the time. So Janoff was uh he was I guess the first that uh proposed the theory that uh, adult psychic trauma can be traced back to childhood experiences that childhood trauma causes adult mental illness yeah which is a huge uh uh german i mean it's kind it's kind of common knowledge now but but it was kind of revolutionary thinking back in the 70s and early 80s right and janoff was the one who uh who pioneered primal scream therapy where you just try and let it all out Mm, where primal scream came from. yeah yeah where the band primal scream yeah so it's uh it affected english people (laughs) they seem to really love it Especially rich ones. <laughs> because they're the ones who could who afford could books go, and, go out and into psychologists. A, and go out into and a field sequencers. and scream and no one would shoot them. Right? Yeah. All right, I'm going to get an Amstel while we do the other song. Okay. What do you think about that? I think that's fine. All right, keep talking. I would Where never. Is the cooler? I didn't bring it in here because the stupid drum set up. Well, how are you going to do it? Boom! Well, I figured we would either leave it out there and go get them out there, or we needed to carry it in here together so we didn't knock anything over. All right, let's carry it in here. Let's go. Okay, so we're back. We had to carry in the cooler together because I didn't trust myself to carry it in by myself because 
in the living room is Taylor Young's drum kit all mic'd and set up with stuff taped off. It's like a crime scene in there. I can't touch anything. There are wires everywhere. I didn't want to have a pratfall and knock everything <laughs> over with the cooler. You've get done great. I mean, nothing's happened. There's been a few moments, but we're good. And we had to w move one mic because of the ping pong table. Right. I live in a fun house. <laughs> you do. You do. I mean, of, of course, the first thing I did was sit down behind the kit and have my daughter take a picture of me and text it to Taylor. It will be good, though, for reference. Like, if anything gets moved, Mike moved. Right, like yeah, just refer reference that picture of me pretending to play his yeah, drums. That's right before you ruined everything. Uh-huh, uh -huh. yep. All right, so you got a spacer, so we're good to go on to track two. Uh-huh, so later tonight when you just absolutely barrel roll everything <laughs> in the living room... <laughs> Because you tripped over the couch. Uh-huh. We'll know where it was supposed to be. And Taylor will never know. Yeah, because he doesn't listen to this. He won't know. He'll never listen to this. Are you kidding me? No. I support Taylor, but Taylor doesn't support me. He doesn't. Well, he's busy. Whatever. Anyway. All right. So, Anywho. So let's... Uh, fast forward from 1983's The Hurting to now 1985 and Songs from the Big Chair, which came out at the end of February of 85, mm -hmm. so early in the year, and went on to be one of the smash hit albums of the entire decade. Yeah. I mean, do you remember... How much are you watching MTV around this time? A lot. And this was a cool thing for us as kids, like two people that are a lot younger than us. We had one major radio station and it was we had our local radio stations and that was cool because you could hear, you know, national bands, but also heard local bands. And that's kind of a cool thing. But the main thing we watched to get all information was MTV. That's what you that's where we got everything right. Yeah, I mean, you lived in Huntsville. I lived in the DFW area. Yeah, so you had The Edge. No, well, well The Edge was, came later, Yeah, I guess. The Edge yeah. wasn't until the late 80s. So, That's true, yeah. So mid-80s, it was still, I was still listening to, uh, I think it was, at this time, it was 92 and a half. I remember Kid Craddock was the, the nighttime DJ. Where was Redbeard Q102? Yeah, Q102 was more AOR. You know, that was like for older kids. Like and Cheap Trick could be. Yeah. On. Yeah. But Top 40, you listen to 92 and a half. I don't know what their uh, call letters or what their handle was, but that was what all the kids that went to my school listened to. Mm -hmm. Because uh, every night there was like uh, a... Uh, at eight o'clock, there was a battle of the bands. There was like the the reigning champion against a new new song, and you called in to vote to yeah, see which yeah. one was the the uh, the hit of the day. All request and dedication hour, mm -hmm. where you would call up and dedicate a song to your your girlfriend and hope that she was listening and heard it. Mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff. So yeah, that's where I got most of my information, but everything else I knew was from MTV. Yeah, and you would wait till Sunday night for uh, 120 minutes. But during the day, I mean, the buildup for songs from the big chair 
was such a huge buildup because I think the record company knew and when this thing was delivered, even though when the record company got it, they needed another hit and that's why they put Shout on it, which they thought was a throwaway song. But when they all heard that, they were like, oh, this is it. Like Head Over Heels was supposed to be the song off of Songs from the Big Chair. Did you know Mother's Talk was the first single? I did not know that. Yeah, so Mother's... should we play that? That's what we should <laughs> Mother's Talk came out before Shout. Well, yeah, so Head Over Heels, they actually were playing on tour in between records. So they wrote it. And they oh, were, they'd already and had they, that. And they man. were playing it live while they were touring, supporting the herding. Okay, so that's why they have the live broken at the end of it is because they've been playing this. Right. They had been playing it, uh, but then... Uh, Chris Hughes was the one who was like, rule the world is a hit. Mm -hmm. And then... Because it was to get that drum sound, that, which is very hard. If you try to get a drummer to play that hit, that beat, you know, try to play a, it. It's kind of a swing. It, like, it, but it's the weirdest... Uh, it sounds simple when you're listening to it, but it's hard to... Like, they have a full... that Whatever that beat is, is very tough to do um but yeah uh, kurt smith said that when they finally got around to writing shout that they it was with the thought of let's write a a stadium anthem mm -hmm. so a sing-along song that you can play to a giant room full of people they kind of uh uh, imagined it as like a protest song, kind of like a, a give peace a chance or hey Jude type thing. They nailed it. I mean, the second he's just like shout. Yeah, I mean the fact that they start with the chorus. So we and have then it ends up being the first song on the record, right? Didn't yeah. shout the first one. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. have a decision to make. We 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 started the pod with head over heels. Uh, we have previously paid. We have previously paid. We Good have, God. We have previously played on the Mike Reiner podcast. Everybody wants to rule the world, and the working hour. So, our choices are shout or mother's talk. Now, I made my daughter listen to the full album on the way down here, and. She, of course, knew Everybody Wants to, to Rule the World. She's 12. She's heard that one before. It's been the... in kids' movies and stuff. Like, they know that one. Pace yeah. knows every word to that yeah. song. Yeah, so she knew that yeah. one. She didn't really know or gravitate to any of the other songs, but she did call out Mother's Talk at the end when it gets really weird. She was like, what is going on with this song? Yeah. When they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that that is a particular favorite of yours. I, I lean towards shout because as I told you when I was listening to it in the car on the way down that I still, even though I've heard it a billion times, got chills during the guitar solo at the end. So I lean towards shout, but I will let you make the ultimate call. Either way, we're going to play one in the after dark. I can't pick. Uh, let's do, we should, do we do the hit in the, in the normal pod? Yeah, let's play the hit. Let's play the hit. So we're going to play Shout. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean... We'll do Mother's Talk later. Yeah. It, if you've heard this a million times and you're like, oh, God, just... They don't play it on the radio a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it is overplayed anymore, but certainly back in the day, it was played constantly. But what I would ask you to do is just sit back and have an open mind and listen to it as though you've never heard it before and just listen to the build and how they layer shit upon shit and it makes it so epic at the end. This is magic. It is Shout from 1985, Songs from the Big Chair. This is HD Wow's Tears for Fears episode, bro.
It's good. You forget how good they are at music and instruments. Oh my god! Seriously, I mean that guitar solo. There's. It's not like he's Eddie Van Halen. He's not doing any acrobatics, but it's just so. The tone is so amazing, and it's just so epic. You know, when I was a kid, um, I thought for sure they brought someone in to do that solo. That that was that couldn't have been Roland. Like surely that wasn't him doing that. No, it's him. But obviously now I know that it was. It's like the same thing as like I wouldn't have thought Robert Smith till I saw it live. Like, oh dang, he really knows how to play the guitar really right. well. Like you just don't think that those guys that are the sensitive rock star dude can really play like just that. Just rip it when yeah. he wants to. Um, but he's very good at guitar. Uh, mm. Now, just to put the picture in the frame, especially if you are one of our uh, younger listeners, which surely uh, we have millions, we, we have millions of listeners, <clears throat> uh, but I would say probably uh, maybe half are, are, are of our generation and then maybe half are of the younger generation. So you don't necessarily have the context of just how huge this record was, but to put the picture in the frame in the United States. So hurting, we talked about how big it was in the UK, Mm -hmm. but songs from the big chair in the U S shout goes to number one. Everybody wants to rule. The world goes to number one head over heels goes to number three and the album goes to number one and goes quintuple platinum. Mm-hmm. Five uh, million copies. So I was, um, I remember it vividly. Like, so my, the reason why I remember it a lot is because I got into a little bit of trouble at the <laughs> end of my eighth grade year. Uh-huh. I cut this out of the last thing that when I told the story before, but this time I can tell it again, but I'm going to cut a lot shorter. I got into a bit of trouble. Um, but I end up going on a road trip to uh, Virginia uh, with my friend Pat and his family. Okay. Um, this is in his dad is a judge. Um, we're in a blue, I think, Cadillac. And we have the Tears for Fears songs from the big chair cassette. Okay. This is a guy that listens to Frank Sinatra all day. Smoke cigarettes in the car with windows up. You know, this uh-huh. is this lifestyle. Old school. Old yeah. School. Which, you know, we're okay. I'm fine. Secondhand you smoke. Know, it's Sorry. like uh, the ashtray yeah. that pulls out of the <laughs> yeah. dash is just yeah. overflowing. <laughs> yeah, like we're fine. But we're jamming this the whole time. The parents are up there going, huh. Like, this is extraordinary. Like, they couldn't believe how good... Like, they're into it. The whole... I mean, there's saxophones in it, and there's stuff... Yeah, Like, well, stuff they, they can like, relate to. Like, I believe, to. like, somebody that's into Sinatra would be like, oh, I, I, this is good. Yeah, or the working hour. Like, I'm sure Shout, which is another thing we just heard Shout. That's a, that's an album-ending song. And they put it as the first song right. that you're just exhausted by the end of the first one. Do you know what I mean? And they 
think that they're going, they're so confident. Yeah, and they, they go from shout, the epic stadium anthem, and then they go to the working hour that has the like the, the saxophone yeah. noodling at the beginning. Yeah, and then it's, they were amazed. They couldn't believe that these eighth grade kids were into this type of music and they were happy. It's like the same thing you were saying today is like, our children now are coming into music that we are, what is this? This is good. Like, what? what is it? And they're telling us stuff and we're like, oh, dang it. Like, these kids know what, you know, cool stuff now. And it's kind of getting us a little. Right, yeah. You know, like Kirk was telling me that the other day, the other, the, the other Deep Blue Something guitar player guy, that his daughter in the car keeps playing stuff on the way to school. And he's like, who is this? This is awesome. Like, what is this? You know, so he's learning all this new stuff from his kids, which he used to hate everything that they play. And now they're getting in their teens and they're cool. Yeah, now. they're, they're like, not listening Dang. to Disney or yeah. Kids Bop, Our kids or, Bop. Or, or Top 40. They're yeah. they're going down their own Spotify wormholes. Yeah, and and you're they're, like, they're pulling Dang. out some gems. And yeah, you're like, like what Dang, is this? What this is, is this? cool. Um, so it's pretty awesome. But... Um, yeah, I'll I'll never every time I hear songs from the big chair, I think of that Virginia trip. I remember being in trouble. That I needed to be away from my parents for a little bit. Um and that is all I think about the whole time is that trip. And it is uh it's the start of high school and the whole thing. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. Mm. I remember I, I wasn't on a road trip with my best friend, but I was on a road trip. Uh, my parents packed us all in the minivan, and we went to uh, the Grand Canyon. Oh, we, dang. We drove. We went to see the Four Corners and the Grand Canyon yeah. and, like, Santa Fe. And you got you got Tears for Fears. To... And, yeah, and one of the... One of the cassettes that I had in my Walkman. Oh, I was about to say, are you Walkman? Are they? Are you playing no, it in the no, car? They're no, not having it. No, I don't think. I don't think my parents listened to music in the car. Okay. Like the, it, it, if you didn't have your headphones on, it was dead silence. Well, what are they listening to? Nothing. It's just silence. It's just silence. My mom is reading a book or knitting, and my dad is like glancing down at his his map with his uh, his like highlighted, uh, you know road trip he's not itinerary. even listening to like news radio you gotta hear no something. no they did not listen to anything god i wish my mind was so calm like that i know and so i had uh <laughs> the the two things i remember about this trip is i had i think i had gotten it from my mom but it was a giant volume of reader's digest jokes and funny stories it was like a compilation of all of their jokes and, and funny columns from mm -hmm. Reader's Digest. So I was just reading that. That's why you're just dorky as hell I right know. Now. I'm dorky as hell. But I was reading this stupid Reader's Digest comedy book and I was listening to songs from the big chair <laughs> on my headphones. And that's what got me through this, this, family, this family road trip to the Grand Canyon. This is such a different experience. I know. Reading readers, yeah, uh huh, yeah. We had different childhoods. We had different childhoods. God dang it! Yeah. I was oh, I was man. a dork, but that goes to show just how 
what a deep swath this record cut across <laughs> America. Everyone was into this record. Everyone knew it. Everyone, Everyone was did. into it. And it was uh, it was a big deal. God, when they set up the Head Over Heels video after the other two songs were so huge. Do you remember the setup for that? It was like Michael Jackson Thriller. They set it up just like that. Like right. The... Because remember that when they would drop a video of a bigger band like that, of like a Madonna video. Yeah, they'd have the countdown. Thing, it was a huge deal, and everyone couldn't wait to see the video of this. And that's what Head Over Heels was. It was a thing. And like you said, it just went to number three. It wasn't as big as the other ones. And they all thought, and when you listen to it, it is mega. It's like the Beatles wrote this uh -huh. song. Um, and it still. It's really good, and everyone still really loves it, but it didn't have the grit that Shout and uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World had. And Working Hour and I Believe and all the other stuff, You just like, if you like the record, you like those songs, but they weren't hits or anything like that. No, I mean, there are the three hits, and then the rest of it, if you were a, a kid like me, you may fast forward. You know, you may just or rewind and re-listen to Head Over Heels again. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, that there, I believe I definitely was not listening to when I was 15. Oh, man, I'm singing it in my room. Like, it, it was like, I loved it. But I'm, you know, I'm you're, that guy. You're different. <laughs> I'm that guy. All right, it's yeah. time for beer number two. What you got there, Dave? Ugh! All right, now that we have the cooler in here. It'll be. Oh, by the way, it's 12 ABV and it's a. No, it's less. Jesus, mama, chita. There you go. Donde las fue? Oh, thank you. Uh, I picked this because it was a brewery that I've never heard of. Golly, already the color of this makes me think it tastes like pecan or something, and I no. hate it. No, it's fine. Uh, so, in honor of the baseball labor dispute being resolved, by the way... You uh, care nothing about that. I don't care, but... Uh, here, three, two, two, one. When's the last... Oh, no, no, no. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, a countdown for a drop. Three, two, one. You could use some baseball. Oh, okay. You're doing a drop. I thought you meant to do that to open the can. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you. You weren't looking at me. We didn't have our psychic communication going. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the whole freaking... I spilled it all over everything. So if, uh, the, if so, the whole thing shuts down in a second... So this... Um, golly, it smells terrible. <laughs> so the brewery is called Texas Leaguer, which uh, in baseball terms is a bloop single. Wait, now, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So in baseball terms, a bloop single, which is like a little pop over the over the first, infield second, and, third. Yeah, in front of the baseman, outfielders. It just barely pops in there where the outfielders can't get to. It's a little mm -hmm. bloop single. Yeah, it's called a Texas Leaguer. I've never heard that in my life. I know what a bloop single is, but I've never heard of a Texas Liga. Well, uh, this is from uh, Missouri City, Texas. It's not a real town. And um, where's Missouri City? I have no idea. 
And uh, so they have uh, a number of baseball-themed brews because, you know, Texas Leaguer is their name. Was baseball invented in Missouri City? No. And so this one is called Knuckle Bock, a German-style dark lager. Do you know how to throw a knuckleball? Yes. Like, you can throw one right now? Probably not. I'm way out of practice. But for a second, you could throw it where the, the it doesn't spin. You're throwing a knuckleball. Well, I don't know that I ever mastered it, but... You put your knuckles on it and threw yeah, it. Yeah, I had I had a friend that lived on my street, and we... <laughs> we this sounds like... It sounds like it's from 1935. I had a friend who lived on my street... He ended up being the pitcher for the Astros. <laughs> no. Um, all we had in common was sports. and we So we would play Nerf or baseball or shoot hoops or whatever. And so we he had a catcher's mitt. And so we would uh, pitch to each other. Mm-hmm. And so we would try, you know, to try different pitches like a split finger fastball or a curveball or a knuckleball. And so, I, you know, I tried. Yeah, people didn't know that, but we did do that for all day to try to master all that stuff. Yeah, we just had nothing else to do. Spent hours trying to figure out how to really make a curveball curve. Right. And then and then when you would nail a curve, like hit the outside corner and he's framing it, and you're like, yes, we yeah. did it. One out After of 20, eight hours. Yeah, yeah. Or if you, the hardest was that slider, you know, coming from left to, now you like slide it that way. Yeah, I could never do a slider. Golly. That's crazy. That stings. But the best thing that ever happened to all of us was wiffle ball, or maybe the worst thing. Remember what you could do with wiffle balls? Yeah. Boy, you could make those things. Our friend Kenny Wilkerson had a, uh, uh, he, his whole backyard was set up as a perfect wiffle ball uh, field. Right, so he had kind of a, a curved fence, an outfield fence. Yeah, it was like when you hit it over that or over the house, because that's kind of, and mine was pretty good for it too, but we didn't, have, we never played over at mine, because mine was more, it would have been more like the green wall. Uh-huh, the green monster. Like to hit it over that would have been a thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh, just because it was, I mean, it's a regular house, but, you know, it was just closer. Uh, but his uh, backyard was set up to where his house that was the same size as mine or anyone else's, but it was set over to the right to where the outfield, the whole baseball thing was to the left side of the house. Perfect. It was absolutely perfect. I mean, dude, we, we played wiffle ball there. Probably 40% of the year. And it was so good, too, because you only needed to play, like, three people with a ball. Because it was also small enough for that. Right. So you only need one outfielder. You only need one person around the base and a pitcher. Because you didn't have catchers. Yeah. You know, there's no catcher in with a ball. You, the batter goes and gets the ball and brings it back. Yeah. Because normally it's like if they throw it, you hit it. You hit it anywhere in with a ball. But boy, you could get that thing to curve, and if you got a hold of it, you could just launch that thing. It's so much fun. Wiffle ball's awesome. Yeah, we had, when it came to baseball, we played. We had four different things that we would do. Okay. We would play. We would pitch simulated games with an actual baseball, a hard ball, 
baseball and, ball and and his catcher's mitt and mm-hmm. you know our our, our well you got to do that for real practice that's a real practice uh then we would uh have batting practice this was all on our street so we didn't go to like a field or anything so we would have batting practice with uh, a wood bat and a tennis ball and we would just launch it and then the other guy would be out in the street with his glove trying to catch it yeah that's when the dude would yell car <laughs> right i love the launching the tennis ball with a baseball bat it's is, awesome. Is there any better feeling? It's so awesome. Because uh, you really feel like you've hit it pretty good. But yeah. it's you feel ten- like a major leaguer. It's a tennis ball. Yeah. I mean, you could hit that with a stick, and it's going to go a long way. Then we had we had the wiffle ball, so the skinny yellow bat with the white ball with the wiffle holes cut out of it. Unbelievable. And we would, and we would tape and, up the handle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would tape up the handle, and then you would have your bases, and you would have ghost runners. So yeah. we would just play the And the two best of us. thing is is to get an out, you just peg them with the ball. Yeah. And that's the best thing is is you don't have to be on the base. You're just pegging people with but the ball. But then if we really wanted to just goof off, I had the the it was it was like the fake wiffle ball, the big fat red bat with just the plastic softball. Like it was a oh, giant the kids was, version. Yeah, yeah the it kids. It was the version. giant plastic ball yeah pace had one of those yeah that's and fun. a big fat yeah. red bat and you would just crush it mm-hmm. anyway so i'll tell you this though and this is the only reason why i'm bringing this up because of um we mentioned uh not not on the podcast but me and you have mentioned fixer upper a lot uh-huh so at their silos in waco Oh, yeah, they have a wiffle ball field. Yeah, when they redid, they bought the whole lot next door and did the whole thing. Redid like a coffee shop, put some other shops in there. But the main thing is that used to be a baseball stadium back in the day. Like Babe Ruth has played there. That's a lot. Like, no, made, no, you're no. You're making that up. No, they. Babe uh, Ruth has never been in Waco. No, but they did it as a tour of. Famous people coming. Barnstorming. Yeah, coming through cities and playing like okay. the little local team or doing whatever. So uh, all these people have played there, but not like actually played seasons there. They just had a special. Exhibitions. Yeah, yeah. and so it's in the newspaper. Babe Ruth was here for five minutes or whatever and hit a ball or something like that. So on the same field. Thing, I hit it over those silos, see? <laughs> yeah. I put the dent in that silo. But so they built a wiffle ball thing, and all I thought was on the ESPN, I would watch that. Wouldn't you watch like uh, really good people at wiffle ball playing wiffle ball? Uh huh. Like five on five. I, I, I recently saw a TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I saw it on Twitter or Face Space or whatever. But you should get TikTok, Dave. You're famous. Well, we, ha- we have an HTWOW TikTok that we don't use. If, if somebody wants to volunteer to be our, I'll do our, it. our content. Uh, manager, I'll do it. It'll all be wiffle ball content. <laughs> so I guess I, I saw a wiffle ball and bucket fishing. <laughs> I saw a wiffle ball uh, TikTok of a, a dude. So nowadays, like you said, uh, back in our day, the batter would have to go fetch the ball from the backstop and give it back to the pitcher. But now they have a kind of net backstop that has the strike zone on it. That's fine. And so it, it's, it serves as the catcher. So if anything gets past the batter, it just bounces off of the net. So basically, if it gets into the net, it's a strike. If it goes over, it's a ball. Pretty much. 
That's not a bad move. Like, it's small enough. Like, if you get it in the net, the dude should have given it a shot. Right. And so it was a three-pitch strikeout. Uh, so there's a dude, batter, uh, you know, right-handed batter, and the the pitcher. So the, the first one goes like a screwball, like outside in, handcuffs him, and he swings yeah, and he swings and he yeah, swings yeah, and tough. misses. And then second one curveball, uh, you know, inside out, and so he's chasing it, misses it mm. wide, and then the last one goes behind his head and ticks the bat behind his head. Yeah, that's still a foul though. No, no, no I think I think that was maybe the first one. So okay. it's foul, foul okay. on the first one, ticks yeah. the bat behind his head, yeah. slider, and then curve, he chases it, and then he, the the batter just throws the bat yeah, in the yeah. air. See, if he would have cuffed me, if some pitcher cuffs me and whiff a ball, that's me catching it, and I'm throwing it right at his face. Don't cuff me, bro. Don't cuff me, bro. <laughs> All right, so uh, Texas Leaguer Knucklebock is what we're drinking for beer number two. It says, um, we bet you didn't see this one coming. This is a one-off kind of Bach that's uh, packed full of rich flavor yet is surprisingly smooth. Is it smooth? Baffle your friends when you hand them a knucklebock. Are you baffled? First of all, it sounds dirty every time you say it. Knucklebock? I yeah. mean, it's, you know, it's their take on a, a Shinerbach. Yeah, I'm a... It's okay, I'll give you that. It's not a Shiner. It's not a it's got a, it's got a little bit more of a, a mealy taste. There's some the flavor in there. Yeah. There's some stuff. What's our ABV? What are we doing? Oh, uh, this is, uh, it's easy drinking compared to the 9.1. 5.6 maybe? Where is it? Bottom right. God. See? I'm telling you. We're both blind. I'm drunk and blind. Yeah, but this is... It smudged it at the top. That could be a six or an eight. Yeah, it's it, it's a six. Let's say it's somewhere between a five and a six. Six point four. Something. I don't know. Doesn't matter. It looks like a six point four. It could be an eight point four. They I bet you Shiner really, Box is like a four really five. Smudged. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Shiner Box that um, strong of a thing. Uh -huh. So I'm thinking that's a six point four. Uh, their artwork's a little smudgy. Yeah, it's okay. Um, they probably don't have good printers in Missouri City. I want to say Missouri City is out there towards, um, like, Abilene, isn't it? Am I out of my mind? I don't know. I'm going to verify. Hold on. It's, like, kind of West Texas-y, or it's over there towards, like, uh, um, don't say it yet, like, Beaumont or something. Like, it's it's by the bay. Actually, you know what? I think it is by Beaumont and oh, uh, Baytown. You, not quite. It is uh, Southwest Houston. Yep, that's it. So, all right, back to Tears for Fears. Um, we are done with songs from the big chair, and now it's time for the Seeds of Love. So. As we said, Songs uh, from the Big Chair was 85. Seeds of Love was not until 89. So it took them a little while. And after Seeds of Love is when they broke up. Like they did, they toured for Seeds of Love. Uh, but then 
in uh, I guess ninety or ninety one. That's when Kurt left the band. Yeah, you could kind of tell Seeds of Love. Roland has Roland was in charge the whole time, but he's completely taken over at this point, right? Yeah. Chris Hughes was the producer of Songs from the Big Chair. If we didn't mention that before, mm-hmm. now for uh, Seeds of Love, self-produced, which really means Roland, and also a guy named Dave Bascombe. Yeah, so Elemental was in '93, and Raul and the King of Spain or Kings of Spain was '95, and both of those were basically Roland by himself mm-hmm. with a bunch of producers. Seeds of Love, I mean, you can't you can't match the massiveness of songs from the big chair. Um, but Seeds of Love did do okay. I mean, it did go to number one in the UK. It went to number eight in the US. Um, and the uh, uh, lead single from that, Sowing the Seeds of Love, went to number two in the US, number five in the UK. Um, and we have talked about what we want to play on this because we both love Woman in Chains, which is the the opener of the record. And it features uh, Alita Adams, which was, uh, she was kind of a lounge singer that uh, Roland discovered and put on a couple songs on the record. And then she toured with them on this tour. Um, so women in, Woman in Chains is one of those that we both have heart for that we would like to play. But, uh, I mean, Sowing the Seeds of Love is such a hit. Maybe we should just stick with that. Yeah, let's stick with the hit. So in the After Dark, we got Mother's Talk and Woman in Chains. Yes. Sowing the Seeds of Love, it is completely over the top. It is uh, like their homage to late era Beatles it's outrageous. I mean, it's over the top. Yes, but it also sounds amazing. It's almost too much. Yeah, I mean, they have orchestras and jet planes. and <laughs> It's just... It's so insane. It is everything but the kitchen sink, but it is brilliant, and uh, it is a hit. So let's play it. This is... Uh, Sowing the seeds of love off of the seeds of love on the Tears for Fears book report by H.D. Wow. Is it gonna be 
holds a special place in my musical history. Okay. 
because as we established when we were talking about songs from the big chair that I was a late bloomer and wasn't as cool as you were when we were the same age. Look, I've been really cool for a long time. I, I understand. Uh, so this tour, the uh, Seeds of Love tour, was my first concert, my first real concert. Are you serious? Yes. Who were they playing with? I don't know who opened for them. Where were where were you? It was at it was at Starplex or Dosecchi's Pavilion, I guess it's called now. Is it sold out? Uh, I have no idea. I imagine so, but um, how I got tickets was, I think this was from the Edge. You called I, in. No, <laughs> even more random. That uh, this was you know eighty nine. So I think the Edge started in like eighty eight or eighty nine. Mm hmm. And they announced that they were... I went to Trinity High School in Euless, Tongan U. And they announced on the, the radio that they were going to show up in the Trinity High School parking lot uh, at, you know, like 4 o'clock or whatever. Who was? I don't know, like their promo crew. Oh, I thought you meant Tears for Fear. No, okay. no. No, like the radio station band was going to show up at random places and give away tickets. Okay, cool. And one of the places that they showed up was the parking lot of my high school. That makes sense. Trinity's big. And so me and my friends ran out there and we got tickets and we went to the show for free. Were you screaming on the way like, ah? Yeah, I was, I was so psyched. And it was the first real show. I mean, I've been to smaller like local type shows, you mm -hmm. know, when I, when I took guitar lessons from like a, a guy who wanted to be Ingve Malmsteen, I went to like see his band <laughs> at some <laughs> metal bar in Arlington or something. That sounds terrible. It was awful. But as far as a real show, I may have seen like Barbara Mandrell with my dad at Six Flags or something. Actually, that sounds pretty good. But as far as a real show that I went to by myself or with my friends, uh, it was Tears for Fears at Starplex. God, that's big, Dave. On the Seeds of Love tour. And I, I bought the shirt. I have a picture of me in the Seeds of Love shirt uh, from, you know, around this time, 89, 90. That I that's could. your first show? Yeah. Because like I said, I was a late bloomer. But dude, I mean, come on. I know. Late bloomer, my parents. 89? That's like years later. My parents didn't take me to do anything. God. Anyway. Okay, so listen. Seeds of Love, even though it's not the greatest record, it is super bloated and it is. It, it's it's just so over the top, ostentatious. If you step back and listen to it, it's amazing. It is amazing, but it, it is so ambitious and over the top that it it just it didn't land. Everything is really good, but it is so over the top. Yeah, but nothing else on the record made a dent. And it, it really was kind of like adult contemporary. Yeah, and at this point, let's face it. So what you that's 89, you said? Uh-huh. Okay, so that's right in the middle of Depeche Mode. The Cure is doing everything. That's Disintegration. Uh, music for the Masses. Music for the Masses. And, and, and these then are Violator. The, and then Grunge hits. Well, and then this is also Stone Roses and kind of the early part of Britpop. Yeah. So as we talked about earlier, so after the tour ends, 
for the Seeds of Love album. Which they probably did great. That, that thing was probably massive. What yeah. was that show like? Did you love it? I loved it. And they had, you know, they had Alita Adams with a grand piano. Uh-huh. It sounded amazing. They had a horn section. I mean, it was a huge stage show and awesome for 1989-1990. It looked mm -hmm. great, sounded great. It was a great first concert experience for Nerd Dave. So after that tour, Kurt and Roland have a falling out. Kurt leaves the band. And Roland continues as Tears for Fears, but it's really just a, a solo project of just Roland. Which is kind of 80-20. I mean, let's face it. But you need yeah. Kurt. You need him. Yeah, he was yeah. he was the the guy who, I guess, could at least balance Roland out a little. Yeah, because he doesn't care. Like he will, he'll probably tell him like, "Hey, I don't like that." Where no one else will tell him that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so they come back, uh, or Roland comes back in 93 with Elemental, and then 95 with uh, Raul and the Kings of Spain. And uh, let's see, as far as the albums go, uh, Elemental peaks at 45 in the U.S. Raul and the Kings of Spain peaks at 79. Uh, I mean, Elemental did have that one song, uh, uh, Break It Down Again. So that was kind of a hit. That went to 25 in the U.S., 20 in the U.K. It was a good song, but I'll tell you this. we um, So with the show we played with them was at Fair Park Coliseum, I would say around the 95, 96 years. All of that makes sense. Yeah. So It was like an Edge show, wasn't it? It was an Edge Christmas show. Yeah, so uh, I, rem I was there. The rentals were there. Uh, uh, it was... Um, it was the first uh, time anyone saw No Doubt because she just came out with... Yeah, it was the guitar player and... Guitar player and her, and they played one song while they were introducing the other band. Gwen Stefani, sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it was all those bands, basically. So everyone's playing this thing. And you guys, Deep Blue Something, played next to last, and then Tears, Tears for, for Fears, Fears was plays. the quote-unquote headliner. Yeah, yeah. And... They we noticed ahead of time that they were going to sound way better than us because they brought their own sound system. He EQ'd the show like what they were gonna the sound check from the board. Roland did it himself from the front board. And I remember the sound check of it because I was sitting up there while no one else was in the whole thing listening to it, just like they're amazing. Like, this is absolutely amazing. Like, they're going to kill this. Um, I was supposed to announce them with Jeff K. So I'm sitting there in a snow sleigh on the side of the stage. We finished our show because uh, I've, for some reason, I've talked to him before this. And he was like, hey, do you want to help me introduce Tears for Fears? And I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. And so we're sitting there and he goes, all right, all right, hey, you ready? And we both have our microphones, and we're about to walk out there, and they just walk out there and start playing. They refused the introduction. They probably didn't know what was going on, or no one told them anything. And he just looks at me, and I just look at him, and we're just like, all right, so I guess we're not doing this. You know, because we're talking to the crowd before this on that side of the stage. Um, and then so I end up, going backstage while they're playing and come out on the other side because I want to see it 
and I didn't see what happened, but everyone left. Yeah, so like I, five thousand people went down to about hundred. Yeah, so I was in the crowd, and for Deep Blue Something, which ninety five, this was when Home had just come out, right? And Breakfast at Tiffany's is blowing up. We're pumping. We're at the point to where. Uh, Kirk on that side of his stage wasn't getting anything of his stuff to work. Yeah, and he had a wireless and he he's like, throwing his scraped guitar, it across the top, smashing of his, it yeah. on the ground. But yeah. Fair Park Coliseum, I mean, it holds maybe eight thousand people. It's like mm. a it's like an old school horseshoe with a GA floor. Yeah, and so it was at the most like seventy five percent full at max. You know, when everyone was there and Everybody was into the toadies. Everybody was into Deep Blue Something. And then as soon as Deep Blue Something stops playing, everyone leaves. And the only people that stay are the people who really want to see Tears for Fears. And like you said, it was like 100 people. They sounded amazing. It was in insane how amazing it sounded. And they, they played as though they were playing to a full house. They did not care. They did not care. They were either they were too proud to admit that everyone left or they just didn't give a fuck because they were still getting paid. Oh, they got paid four times as much as anyone else. Oh, sure. But it's still, it's an ego hit. But for that time period, 1995, people did not care about Tears of Fears. No. They, that's not a cool thing to do. Whereas for me... That's why I'm sitting front row, because I still think they're the coolest thing I've ever seen. But for young kids, that's their parents' band. Right. It's totally weird how you can go from playing to no one, and all of a sudden you're the number one record in the... You know. Yeah, so there's a huge gap. We're skipping over a lot, because we're going from the Seeds of Love... Uh, we're missing to, Elemental. To tipping Point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Elemental comes out in 93... Rule and the Kings of Spain comes out in 95, and they have the, the failed show at the Edge Christmas party. Uh, should I cut that out? No. I don't want to do a failed show for them. No, it's fine, it, because it puts the picture, again, as I said, uh, I'm using the cliche of put the picture in the frame, but it really solidifies how amazing this, this comeback, this is, comeback is. Because uh, they get back together, so in 2004... Kurt and Roland reunite. They come out with uh, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, which I don't remember at all. I do not remember that. I need to go back and listen to it. Um, I mean, it was on uh, a, a label in the U.S. called New Door. I mean, I have no idea. It, it did peak at number 46 in the U.S. It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, it, it registered at it's least. almost top 40. Um, so... No idea anything about that record, but then so they put that record out, and then Tears for Fears is kind of put to bed. And then 18 years go by, and uh, Roland has gone through some stuff because when you get to the tipping point, which is uh, the current album that just came out last month, Roland's wife uh, dies in 2017. And so she uh, she had um, alcohol-related dementia. 
That sucks. And so he he watches her die. He goes into rehab, and then uh, what's he going into rehab for? For for alcohol. And so after all of this, then they get back together in 2019 and have a tour. Just kind of a you know let's let's. I think I remember that. Let's play these songs yeah, yeah. again. Let's, let's have let's, fun. Let's go back out on the road. Let's rekindle. Let's let's see how people react to us now. And successful tour. Everything goes great, and they're getting along great. So then they're like, well, let's get back together. So in 2020, uh, 2020, they're like, uh, let's. Uh, they sign with a new management company. They uh, are writing new material. They have songs that they've been sitting on for all this time, but then they're also writing new stuff. And they're like, uh, we actually have a record. And so then they get together um, and record this, the tipping point. And so it's very much uh, kind of a, a COVID record because it has kind of those those themes of you know the, the world's gone crazy and there's nothing we can do and there's nothing yeah, we can do like we're what out of else control are we gonna do yeah uh, you know and all we have is each other uh but then it's even more poignant now with all of the russia ukraine stuff and so as you said timing's everything perfect storm this album comes out and it goes to number one on the Billboard albums charts in the first week. They're more surprised than anyone else. Yeah. They, well, and, and our, our vinyl sponsor, Positive Spin, he said that he can't keep it in stock. Mm -hmm. It's a complete record. It is one of those that there there's there's not a, a dud on the album. There's not anything that you don't want to hear all the way through. Uh, there's... Not necessarily a uh, everybody wants to rule the world, head over heels, shout type smash hit, but everything is so Tipping solid. Tipping point's pretty good. It's pretty good. And so we didn't want to repeat that. I had it uh, kind of narrowed down to three. So um, here's the thing that before we play the jam that I will say about this record is that after all this time, it does seem like Roland finally appreciates Kurt mm -hmm. because Kurt has a much bigger role on this record than any previous tears for fears record, not only in time on the mic, but in the songwriting credits. So a uh, long, long, long time. Uh, it's a co-write between Smith and Orzabal and the producer uh, uh, Charlton Pettis. Uh, Break the Man is uh, Kurt Smith and, and Pettis, the producer. Mm -hmm. uh, but then End of Night is a Roland jam. Okay. And I, I, I mean, it is not the album closer because they do have kind of a more ballady end mm -hmm. stay that closes the album. But End of Night is to me the closing statement of tipping point and okay so there's there's another song after this on the two more songs no just one okay just one yeah but end of night really is the exclamation point on the record 
it's a hot jam. So let's let's. I think we should play that one. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, but it definitely has, uh, kind of to take it full circle. It has a little bit of synth pop, harkening back to the age of the hurting. God, you love harkening. I know. A hot one, isn't it? That is a hot jam. It is smashed, but it is good. It is current, is what I like to say. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, dude, it's gonna be hard for me on the after dark to pick what else to play because there, I, honestly, I could play anything off the record. 
my demons is a really propulsive mm-hmm. Roland. Uh, like he's he is belting that one out. Rivers of Mercy is really uh, appropriate for the time that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, it does though seem like like that song. It seems like they're having fun. Yeah, it is a super great record, and it, it's one of those that you just you didn't think it you you didn't think that they had it in them still. I mean, I was worried when I saw the pictures of of Roland looking like a wizard. I told you before, and I think I cut it out of the last podcast. Uh, I'm growing into it. Yeah, I think looked, I, I think I'm starting to get into I, I'm it. I'm starting to like it. And you know, we talked on the last pod about the, you know, all the memes of the the Tears for Fears <laughs> band photos, <laughs> where they look like mad parents. They yeah, they either look like parents that are mad at you for coming home late. Or they look like a couple that's just had a fight and they're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. But now the promos—they're still—they're not—they're not smiling, but they're facing each other. I mean, what could go wrong with them at this point? It's—it's it's probably the reason why Roland was like, "Man, I need to get Kurt back in this because it was more fun when we were all together." It's what the world needs right now. It is what the world needs right now. Yeah, kick down that. Uh, but head over heels, bro. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Guess what? Tears for Fears is good. <laughs> In summation, Tears for Fears, good. I mean, just listen.
Broken Live, the reprise of Broken. So, enjoy. We'll see you next month. I'm going to quit talking.